You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. Uh, my name is Tommy. I'm the pastor here. If, if we hadn't met, uh, I'm, I'm excited about this because today we start a new series. And, and it's fun for me because in this place we have some core values. And our, we have a core vision, and that is everyone needs Jesus and everyone's our responsibility. If you ever forget it, just turn around. It's on the wall back there. And uh, some of you are looking, I don't trust him. It's right there, right there. And so we have core values that support that. And our core values are knowing, growing, giving, serving, and praising. And so we have an opportunity uh, to know and grow. And, and, as we, and knowing means we're known by each other. That you don't just walk through here without knowing somebody. That, that over time, people begin to know you, and you know them, and you're in community. And we grow, that means we're growing in our knowledge of God and who we believe Jesus is and, and our likeness of Christ. And over the next few weeks, we're going to have a chance to do both those. Uh, Chris and Katie tonight are doing a class on marriage. And, and if that's something you want to come to, man, that's an opportunity to grow and know. And, and over the next few weeks, you're going to have a lot of those opportunities. We're doing different classes each week to, to support what we're teaching in here. And so it's going to be fun. But we talked last week. So Easter, Easter is about new life, right? One of the things we said on Easter Sunday, I think it was Easter Sunday, is the resurrection changes your direction. And so for those people who have encountered a resurrected Christ, it changes them. You cannot encounter someone who was dead for three days, comes back to life, and hangs out with you without being different, right? That changes the way you see the world. And so resurrected people are different. And it doesn't just change our beliefs. Uh, the point of Christianity is not just that you would believe different. The point is that you would actually begin to act different, that you would feel different. The resurrection changes your actions, your belief, your emotions. It changes everything. And so resurrected people, kingdom people, we should look different from the world. Resurrected people don't think like the world thinks. We begin to act on what we have received, which is salvation. I love the way Paul puts this in Philippians 2.12, and it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, yeah, I bet he was being sarcastic right there, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Okay, so because we have received salvation, because we have received this resurrected new life, we begin to live different because Christ is now living through us. And you don't act different to be saved. You act different because you're saved. You don't you know, try to please God to earn his favor. We please God because we have been given his favor. And so we look and act different from the world around us. Kingdom people don't live like the world lives. We don't decide right and wrong the way the world decides right and wrong because we live under the kingdom. And so it's different. And, and I, I think one of the things that we tend to do as we begin to grow in our, our knowledge of faith in God, you know, and as we begin to study the Bible, we want to kind of try to confuse ourselves as we read the Bible. Like you, you'll tell someone, you know, I believe in the Bible and I try to live according to Scripture, and someone will say something like, oh, really? You mean you don't eat shellfish? Like they pull some obscure passage from the Old Testament and try to confuse you. It's almost as if the, the message of the world is, did God really say that? And this is the same message from the serpent in the garden. This is what we've always tried to do. We read scripture as if there is no absolute truth in it. As if we can just manipulate it and bend it and break it. And, and does it really, does God really want that? And for kingdom people, we begin to look at these things 
differently. And over the, over the next few weeks, we're going to attempt to find kingdom truth because we believe there's truth in the Bible. We don't believe that everything is gray in the Bible. We believe there's some truth, and we're going to attempt to find truth for our relationships, for our marriage, for our singleness, uh, for our friendships. We're even going to find truth for our finances, your favorite one to talk about. We'll do that in five weeks. Some of you have already crossed your arms. You're like, I'm going to cross my arms now just to make sure they're crossed five weeks from now, right, when we talk about money. I mean, I don't think we beat you over the head with money here. It's okay to, to demonstrate a biblical view on this. And so we're going to do that. But you have five weeks to prepare your heart for that. So. Or to make another plan. We're going to visit another church in five weeks. Before we talk about these things, before we talk about singleness and marriage and friendships and finance, the first thing we have to talk about is who do you believe God is? Because if we're kingdom people, resurrect people, we're different people, nothing I'm going to talk about matters if we don't share a core uh, idea and concept of who God is. And so one of the things I think you must believe if you are to move into this kingdom life, if you are to live different, there must be a core understanding that we all share about God, and it is this, that God is good. Like we must believe that God is good. Too many of us have this idea that, that God is like the angry principal who wants to punish you for everything. And like, that's why y'all want to hear a weird story about principals? <laughs> this is true. When I was in eighth grade, I went to a Christian school. And I was sitting in the principal's office one day, and I'm still mad about This is the live stream. Yeah, all right. I'm still mad about this. <laughs> now, let me just air a little grievance here. Hold on. And so I'm sitting in a principal's office in eighth grade, and he looks at me, and he says these words to me. He says, I never want to see you again. <laughs> and I replied, that feeling is mutual, my friend. <laughs> Something along those lines. But like that, I mean, if you're, if you're a good principal, you're not. But if you're a mean principal, you got to be nice. But like, that, that was my experience with principals when I was a kid because I was constantly framed for things that I wasn't doing wrong. And so he, he didn't like me. He didn't get me. <laughs> And so, like, that was my understanding. But God is not a cosmic principle. God is good. And what God wants for you is the best for you. God wants to give you the best life. Even if your heart says something else, what God wants to offer you is something better. And so we must have a, it's got to be settled in you that God is for you, and God is with you, and God is good, and even if God wants something that you don't want, it's not because he wants to steal your fun, it's because God is good. Like That's got to be settled in you, and if that's not settled in you, man, pray that God would settle that in you. The second thing that has to be settled in you is that scripture is, is true. Is that, is that we don't get to just read the Bible. Now, obviously, there's, you, don't read, you, know, you don't read Song of Solomon the same way you read Matthew, but we got to learn to read this thing. It's given to us for a reason, and it's truth in it. The Bible is not a bunch of, of things that we get to just sort of pick and choose, blah, 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 I like this, I like that, I don't like that. It's truth for our lives. And we have to believe that Scripture has, has authority, that God has spoken through the Word, and that these things actually matter to us. And if you don't believe there's authority in Scripture, and you don't believe God is good, then you're never going to experience freedom inside the kingdom. All you, all, at best, you know what you'll do? Follow rules out of fear. And let me tell you how long that lasts. About 30 seconds. Because I was scared of that principle. <laughs> but I didn't follow the rules. <laughs> it won't last long, right? There's got to be something different in you. And, and so we're, we're going to talk about these things. And we're going to talk about this week about how that applies to marriage and single life. 
Now, I'm not going to go into a bunch of practical application here uh, because Chris and Katie have a class on that tonight. You can go to that if you want to. Uh, But what I want to talk is high level, what is God's plan for marriage and what is God's plan for single life. And the reason I want to talk about both these things together is because I think they are equally valuable inside of the kingdom of God. For many of us, we grew up in in a church world, especially in America, where the message of the church was come to church, get God, get married, have kids, and be happy. And so we acted like the only way you could ever experience joy and happiness was to be married. And what a lot of us have found out is marriage did not necessarily make me happy. (laughs) At least y'all found that out. It's made me happy. (laughs) She she in here? But like, yo, yo. Y'all know what I'm saying. We we thought, and and so why do most people get married? The pursuit of happiness. Guess what? Guess why most people get divorced? The pursuit of happiness. (laughs) But that was the message from the church, is that, man, to be complete and fulfilled, you must be married. And that's not the truth of the Bible. The Bible has another outlet for people who aren't married, and that is single life. And it's it's God-ordained, and it matters. So we're going to talk about them both today. And if that's unusual for you, welcome to Grace. It's an unusual place. And so what we're going to do is try to look at God's design for these things. And let me tell you this, guys. It's going to be challenging. This is challenging. I don't care where you are in life. This is going to be challenging. And that's why Jesus would occasionally look at people and say, count the cost. You want to live inside the kingdom? You want to have a, a kingdom marriage? You want to be a kingdom person? Count the cost because this is going to be difficult. And so it's okay if we're challenged a little bit today. But let, let's see what marriage inside the kingdom of God looks like. Matthew 19, and it says, Some Pharisees came to him, they came to Jesus to test him. And they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. So the Pharisees would often come to Jesus, right? And they would try to trick him. And what they wanted him to do was take a side. And this won't sound, we won't get this at all. But what they wanted to do was get Jesus into their political party. We won't get this at all. And so they wanted to take Jesus' words and use it to publicize their political agenda. Like to Jesus in this party or this party. And so that's what they were trying to do with the word of God. And what Jesus would always do would like deflect them and sidestep and point them back to God. Not, not laws of man, not political parties, but back to God. And so they come to him trying to trip him up on this, on this conversation about marriage. And instead of, you know, falling for their trap, he says, but God says. And, and what Jesus ends up doing here is quoting from Genesis. This is fascinating. Because Jesus, if you read Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which, by the way, is an incredibly challenging ethic for us to live out. And most of us will fail at it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And Matthew 5 through 7 is, is the pinnacle of what life with Christ should look like for us. But if you read that, Jesus would say, it it was said that, but I say. And what he would do is take an Old Testament verse and then clarify it. But here he doesn't clarify. It's as if he believes that what was written is actually clear enough. And so Jesus goes into this conversation where he's quoting from Genesis. And he says, in the beginning, you know, God created them male and female. And and I want to just pause right here for just a second. I think one of the first things we see inside the kingdom is there's this 
there's an understanding that God created male and female. That that's not something we get to pick and choose. That is God's design. God created these things. And so I think it's important that we as kingdom people understand that. And we as kingdom people have these conversations with our children where they understand that. But listen to this. It's equally as important that we love people who do not share our value in this. If the way you're talking to your kid about this is by making fun of people, then you're wrong in front of God, not those people. If the way you're having this conversation is by mocking people and belittling people, then you need to come back. You have misread what the Bible was intended to be for you. We're to love people while we hold truth. That's what makes us look different than the world. The world can hold truth and hate people. We must hold truth and love people, and love must be what comes from our lips. An ethic of love. And so we hold both these things in truth. That God created male and female, and those were God's designs, and then God united them for a reason. And now we're going to read the most misquoted Bible verse in church history. Get ready. Y'all are going to enjoy this. This is Ephesians 5. Get ready. Y'all ready? Now as the church submits to Christ, so also women should submit to their husbands in everything. See you next week. <laughs> Send to the message. Go home, everybody. Have fun and work it out, right? Maybe you've even heard this actually preached like this. Women, you must submit to your husbands and everything. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and you know his wife's backstage going, I'm going to get that dude. (laughs) Get that dude when he gets home. First off, let's let's talk about this. That passage begins by you must submit to one another. The other thing we need to understand is this. Submit does not mean the same thing as obey. These are two different Hebrew words. Submit is is to willfully elevate the needs of someone else above yourself. Submit involves humility. This is obey is a different word. So just some your world just got crushed. That'll just work it out. <laughs> Let's start over now, now that we understand that. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to the wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery yeah it is but i am talking about christ and the church however each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband that's a lot right that's a lot we're going to unpack it in about four and a half minutes so stay tuned all right so so the first thing he says is Women, you know, wives, submit to your husbands, okay? And what he's saying is willfully elevate the needs of your husband above yourself. Because here's the truth. Biologically speaking, for most men, okay, at the end of that passage it says wives respect your husband. Biologically speaking, for most men, not every man, for most men, our number one need is respect. Our number one need is, is to feel respected by our wife. 
And so what he's saying is, ladies, meet the number one need of your husband. It's Men, your number one need is not what you've tried to convince yourself it is. That's not it. Your number one need is to be respected. And so he's saying, women, but by, by elevating his needs above yours, you will respect your husband. And then, he, and by the way, the fact that Paul is even addressing women at all, guys, you've got to understand this. This is groundbreaking equality stuff right here. He's writing to women. Women couldn't even read. They didn't have options in the relationship. They were bought and sold like cattle. And Paul is addressing women as if they have a choice in the relationship, as if they are equal partners in the relationship. Yeah, that's not the way they used to preach this one. <laughs> that's what's happening. And then, and then he, and then he goes to, after he addresses women, he goes to men. And he says, men, love your wives as Christ loves his church. Feed her, care for her, clothe her, like take care of her. And biologically speaking, I know not everybody, I know not all, but biologically speaking, a woman's number one need is security. And what he is saying is, make your wife feel secure in your love. Provide, work, take care, do the things a man was designed to do. He's like, take, make sure that your wife's number one need is met, even if that means you humble yourself. You elevate the needs of your spouse above yourself. And so what he's saying is, inside of marriage, it's two, uh, two people, uh, two partners coming together, both elevating the needs of the other partners above their own. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Doesn't that sound amazing? That, that we would both be trying to outserve one another and outlove one another, and that's what marriage would be like? So that... When the world sees your marriage, what they will see is an image of how much Christ loves his church. That's what marriage is designed to be. I don't know what the world's definition of marriage is because I'm a kingdom person. But I know inside the kingdom, marriage is, is someone trying to elevate the needs of someone else so that the world will see how much Christ loves his church. The world will get an image of the Trinity as one man, distinct and unique, comes together with one woman, distinct and unique, and together they create one flesh. And this gives the world an image of a triune God. Different parts together as one, right? Three distinct and unique, although they're all one essence, one, the same, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that we would procreate through this, and that we would have joy in this, and, and satisfaction in this, and fulfillment in this. And that's what marriage is supposed to be. And this is what we should, just like Matthew 5 through 7 is a difficult ethic, this is what we as Christians should be striving towards in our marriage. And I see all these Christians on social media so mad about this person's marrying this person. Until we're doing what we're supposed to do, we should probably keep our mouths shut about what they're doing. They're, whoever you're there is, they're not the problem in your marriage. You're the problem in your marriage. We've got to realize this. This is what our marriage should look like. This is, this is what we're striving towards. This is what we're trying to create for the world to see. And so we, of all people, should be empathetic when someone is not living that because we know how difficult it is. You know why it's so hard? I figured this out. I like there's a bunch of young people there, so y'all probably get married one day. Here's why it's so hard. Because you are two selfish people learning to cohabitate. I mean, at our core... That's what we are, right? Remember, none of us are born generous. Remember, throw, you know, throw a chocolate bunny back there with 10 kids in the middle. I really think we should film that some Sunday because it would be great. Just see which kid gets the chocolate bunny. Throw it in a bunch of three-year-olds. Yeah. 
It'd be like Thunderdome. Ten will go in, one will come out. Right? <laughs> but like, we're not naturally generous. And so we're learning to elevate someone else's needs, and this is difficult. And that's why this, this may be this next verse, maybe my favorite verse, and it's so funny. Matthew 19. Listen to, how, listen to how the disciples respond to this ethic around marriage. Matthew 19. The disciples said, if this is the situation between husband and wife, it's probably better that we don't get married. <laughs> like, I got to stay, I got to stay with her? Well, you know, on our honeymoon, she wore something, and now she's wearing that old team building shirt from 1983. And, <laughs> right? That's why they call them business socks. I don't understand. And so it's like, it's like, if this is what it is, then do I really want this? And here, but here, there's something so gorgeous in this. Marriage, as, as described in the kingdom, is not for everyone. And it's okay if it's not for you. You don't have to be married to be satisfied. Now, if you're married, this isn't your excuse to bounce. We're supposed to stay married, right? <laughs> supposed to stay. Bloom where you're planted. But if you're not, it's okay. You're not missing out. You're not less than. There's a beautiful place for you inside the kingdom of God if, if you cannot live out this, this marriage ethic that God describes. And that's why Jesus in verse 11, Jesus replies, this is good. He says, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. Okay, a eunuch in the Bible is a man who's been castrated so that he can focus on serving the king. That's what a eunuch is. Some, he's, been, he's had his sexual reproductive organs removed so that he can focus on serving the king without distraction. And it says, there are some uh, who... who for those eunuchs that were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and then this, this is good. And then there are those who choose to live like this for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And listen to what he says. For those who can accept that word, you should accept it. And Paul says the same thing. For those who are able to be single, then, then you should probably do that because you can serve God in your singleness. And so Jesus is talking about the fact that, that some people will choose a single celibate lifestyle for the purpose of glorifying God, and that is beautiful. And you can have a rich, fulfilling life through that. And there are testimony after testimony of people who've had amazing lives living a single celibate life because this kingdom ethic of marriage did not work for them. And if that's you, that's okay. You don't have to be married to be complete. And like, guys, when I, when I realized this, when, when, I, when I understood this, I had prayed prayers over my daughter every night that was like, God, I pray for her husband. I pray. And eventually I just said, God, let her be sufficient in you alone. What if marriage isn't for my daughter? What if that's not the route she chooses to take? Do I want to make her feel somehow less or insecure because she has chosen a different route? I pray that she is complete in Christ alone. That no matter what she chooses... The, the, your ability to have children is not what makes you honorable to God. Your ability to, to be married is not what makes you honorable to God. You, are, you can be sufficient in Christ alone. And we have to get this and take this pressure. What we do is we end up talking people into marriage who should have never gotten married. We force it on them, right? And years later, we're like, I wonder why the divorce rate's so high. Because maybe marriage wasn't for you. And that's okay. There's a place for you inside of the kingdom of God. And so if someone came to me today and they said, hey, should I get married? 
and there's, you know, I want to marry X, Y, or Z, or whatever. What I would do is I would describe to them this ethic inside the kingdom of God. And then I would ask them a few questions. I would say, are you wanting to get married so that through your union you can glorify God together? Are you wanting to get married so that, so that through your relationship people will better understand the way Christ loves his church? Are you wanting to get married uh, so that you can image a triune God for the world to see? And if they said no, you know what I would tell them? Don't get married. You're not ready. Because reasons other than that are about our pursuit of happiness. And that's what we talked about. When you get married for yourself, or when you make that someone your everything, right? I mean, these things fail. These things disappoint. And we all know this because we all got married for the wrong reasons. Right? And so we're, but we're working towards something. That's the hope inside the kingdoms. We're working towards a kingdom marriage, working towards a kingdom relationship. And if you're single and that's the season you're in, you can live a God honoring life where you're working towards honoring God with your singleness. But it means to be married and honor God or to be single and honor God means to surrender your will and your heart and everything you have to the king of the world, even if it goes against your heart's desire. And it's challenging. And life inside the kingdom can be challenging. And it's difficult. But these things, marriage and singleness, wherever you are right now, wherever you are, wherever you are, you've been given a tool to honor God. Wherever you are. And you have married people in the room going, man, I sure would be happy if I were single. And single people in the room going, I sure would be happy if I were married. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> that's, that's not. I mean, this is the truth. We all know. That didn't satisfy. You got to find completion in Christ alone. You got to find completion in Christ alone. And you can find that in whatever season you're in. Choose to allow your, your singleness to honor God. Choose to allow your marriage to honor God. Choose to pursue this ethic of the kingdom that is so difficult for us. Choose this day who you will serve. And look different. Look different than the world. Look different in the world as, as the way we, we handle marriage. And look different from the world in the way we handle people who don't agree with us on our ethic. We love. We're peaceful, patient, kind. These things aren't political weapons for us. They're life inside of the kingdom of God. And so we hold truth. And we hold love. And that is what life looks like inside of the kingdom. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.